My husband and I both say, if, if we have an impact on just one person, I want the kids to be able to say when they're grown up, oh, we did, we used to go to this place and we used to do these things. And, you know, those are the kind of memories that we have that inspired us to actually do this. Welcome to the Good Around Us podcast. Here we share stories of people doing good for others. I'm your host, Stephanie Keeley. Hello, hello. It's great to be back in this new year after a little holiday break. If you follow along on Instagram, you know that this break has been longer than I anticipated because, well, life is just a little hard right now. And I think many of you are experiencing that too. Between the pandemic, winter storms, and caring for families, it's been hard to find a rhythm or much normalcy. But experiencing the hard times yet again has reminded me of just why I started this podcast in the first place. Because despite the negatives, there is always light. There are people out there doing great things to support other people. And we must pay attention to the good around us. So to kick off this new season, our guest in this episode is Lisa Schmitz. Lisa brought new life to her passions and career as she stepped away from her corporate HR job and founded the nonprofit Mars Hill Art Center, which provides community art classes, a blessing pantry, a little free library, and tons of other benefits to an underserved neighborhood in Indianapolis. Beyond that, Lisa and her husband have a video series called Do Something Indie, where they profile people doing amazing things in the community. Lisa was a joy to talk with, and I'm excited to share her story with you today. Here's Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Tell us, where do we find you today? Where are you sitting? I'm sitting on the floor of my brand new master bedroom and looking out the window at the snow, but I'm, I'm actually sitting on carpet on the floor for the first time. I've been able to do this for the first time in four and a half years. We've been living in 400 square feet of a basement with a concrete floor and room to move of about a couple of feet, either direction, you know, wherever you walk in the space. And so, yeah, I'm just kind of enjoying the space before the bed gets here. <laughs> so, and this newly renovated home is is where? So, we are on the near southwest side of Indianapolis. The neighborhood is Mars Hill, like the planet and the mountain. Um it is a low-income neighborhood of Indianapolis, but we are here because we started a nonprofit in this community and we heard a lot of people say that you needed to live in the community that you were serving in. And so we sold our cool old house in the town of Speedway, Indiana, close to all the restaurants and all the fun um, to move 10 minutes south of there to this community. And so we're six blocks from our community art center. Um, We bought a 108-year-old house. So you are not originally from Indianapolis. What led you to that region? Yeah, I'm I'm an Arkansas girl. I'm a Razorback fan. Moved here 26 years ago. My then husband wanted to live the dream of working on a race team. And we lived in Little Rock. And uh, 
I just kept telling them, you're never going to get a racing job. They're not going to think you're serious. They don't, they won't think you know what you're doing. You're from Arkansas. You're not living in Indianapolis, which is the headquarters of the motorsports world practically. And so we came and visited a couple of times and just decided to take a leap of faith and pack up and move Two young kids. My girls were in the fourth and sixth grade. We, uh, this kind of shows you what the times were like back then. So there was no internet. This was in 1995 and we found a place to live and started looking for jobs by getting a subscription to the Indianapolis star newspaper and had it mailed to our house. And I would sit and circle the house. Grab the highlighter, circle them up. Yes. Make phone calls, send out resumes, all that good stuff. And we actually didn't have jobs when we moved here. Well, my then husband actually had been promised a job. He was still in school at the, at the time too. So he got approved or accepted to the Purdue campus of IUPUI, which is Indianapolis or Indiana University, Purdue University at Indianapolis. So they have a great engineering program. And so he decided to transfer um, and then get a retail job. We both had worked for Dillard's department stores for a long time. And so he had the promise of a job. I had no job, uh, sent a resume on a whim three months before we were due to move to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and got a letter back from their controller saying, we've passed along your resume to the gift shop manager. Should there be any interest, we'll they'll be in touch with you. And I'm thinking gift shop, like a gift shop at a hospital, you know? And mm-hmm. here I'd worked for the largest family owned department store in the country for almost 13 years. And I was like, yeah, gift shop, probably not, not my speed, but I love the fact that they responded to me and it, the letter, I still have it to this day. It was on the beautiful old wing and wheel letterhead and about two months, two and a half months. So like two weeks before we were due to move, I got a phone call. It was the director of retail sales and operations I had no idea there was a full-blown retail department within this organization that ran 40-plus shops and all the food and beverage during event time. So it was a huge operation. It wasn't just a little gift shop in a hospital. Right. Um, and so I ended up having an interview the first week we were here. And my first job was at IMS. And my then husband was like, we moved here for me to be in racing, not you. I'm like, I can't help it. You so, got the job. You got the job got, and, yeah. and you worked your way up in the company or in that area, right? So I started out as the personnel coordinator for the retail department. So I hired all of the seasonal staff and recruited all of the nonprofit groups that would come in and run the gift shops. And they didn't have an HR department at the time. And then a few years into my role in the retail area, they started an HR department and they moved me over. So I was actually the first HR manager at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway back in 1999. So was there for a few more years. And by then my then husband had gotten his racing job and started traveling 200 days a year and having two teenage girls at home alone and supervised a lot, because as you can imagine at IMS, I worked, well, we worked 17 weeks out of the year without a day off. So it was a lot of hours and then he traveled 200 days a year. So, um, so I left there and went to a more nine to five, 
um, job. And I don't know if you're familiar with Galleons Sports and Outdoor. It was a sporting goods store. We had, gosh, I think we had over 50 stores across the U.S. by the time I, I left there. Dick's Sporting Goods bought them out. So okay. I ended up working for them for a few years as an HR manager. And then when they got bought out, ended up with a division of Napa Auto Parts that's based here in Indianapolis and was able to work my way up from HR manager to VP of HR. So I consider myself a recovering HR executive. So recovering, you you <laughs> made a career out of it, it sounds yeah. like, and worked with large companies and and created HR departments essentially and, and several right. of them. So recovering meaning you walked away. I walked away. I had hit my max stress level point. Um felt like I was spending more time keeping us out of legal trouble than doing the fun things related to HR. And even as I worked my way up, I, I tried really hard to not forget what it was like to work in those entry-level jobs and to stay connected to those people. And so when I finally realized that if as the senior HR person in a multi-million dollar company, if I cannot inspire positive change and turn the needle in the right direction because I'm not getting support from the one person above me in the whole organization and maybe a few others that were beside me, then it's time for me to leave. Um, My husband and I had bought this building to start this nonprofit. And what's funny is when we decided to do that, we didn't even think about who was going to run it. (laughs) We just were like, we want to serve an underserved community. And that's, we both are creative people. And so we also know that the arts when infused into a community can really help bring people together and give them a better, um, you know, a better relationship with their own community. And so we just, so what year is it. that? What year did you um, step away from HR and, and purchase the building in the Mars Hill 20, neighborhood? 2015, 2015. Okay. Yeah. We bought it in January of 2015. And then I left a really cool agency here in town had a company reach out needing a part-time HR consultant to audit all their processes, write their handbook, you know, all the things. Cause they had not had an HR department. I had done that two or three times before already. So I was like, Oh my gosh, this is a great opportunity. And he had the forethought enough to think, okay, she could do this part-time still make, you know, a little bit of money, but have extra hours to work on the nonprofit that you're getting ready to open, he says. So tell us about Mars Hill, the arts center that you formed this nonprofit. Tell us about it. What does it do? What's the impact that you're hoping to see from it? Yeah. So we've been open three and a half years and I will say those that first year, even before we opened the doors, we realized how true it was that we needed to live here because we started going to community meetings and trying to get to know the the residents and the people here. And they didn't trust us. They, they were like, who are these people coming in trying to, you know, do something in this neighborhood? They don't even live here. They don't know what it's like. And, and then every time I would tell them, you guys, I worked in this neighborhood for 12 years. So my executive job that I left, was literally six blocks from the building that we bought 
our organization did a lot of giving back and we worked with our local elementary school. We helped with their field day every year. We did reading tutoring. We would raise money for things like computers and things like that for them. So I felt like I knew those kids. we I'd been doing it for years in this very neighborhood. So we bought the building and our goal really was to have a community center space that the, the neighbors could use for various things, whether it's birthday parties. Um, gosh, we've had two weddings. We've had birthday parties. We have a couple of families that have outgrown their homes to have their big family gatherings at the holidays. And so they'll rent the space. Like the one family did it the Saturday after Thanksgiving and had all their family come there. They brought all the food, all the kids and all that. Um, we had one do one on Christmas Eve and they just wanted a place for all their kids to get on Wi-Fi and play all their video games. And they brought all their equipment and they spread out in our big meeting room space. Um, but then from the arts side, we wanted to, <laughs> we're both just big kids. So we wanted a space like what we had in our dad's workshops growing up or, you know, the things we like to do in school and we both believe that art was a really big thing because that's what we loved doing when we were growing up. So uh, my husband does pottery. So we have a pottery studio. I have a big craft room and we have all these shelves with, oh my goodness, you, you name it, Mod Podge, paints, canvases, crayons, uh, fabric, buttons, tons of buttons. I like to make button trees at Christmas. Do you know what those are? Do no, I don't old, think so. Like it's an old fashioned... Um, picture, if you will. My grandmother had one that she made, but she took old buttons and old jewelry and glued it into the shape of a Christmas tree on a canvas mm -hmm. and had it framed. And so we do things like that. I mean, I, I love to repurpose and recycle things. So I like to create art out of random, unexpected things. So we do things like that. We partner with 4-H and we've had a summer 4-H day camp. We've done um, some 4-H craft days like on their fall break and spring break. Um, we have a Girl Scout troop that meets once a week. We have a couple that comes in and teaches Taekwondo two nights a week. So it's really getting utilized for community things and artistic things. We, we also have an addiction recovery group that meets um, in our space every other month. Um, we've done a couple of job fairs for the people in our community um, that the school's in, that serve our neighborhood are 100% poverty level. So these kids don't have access to get to places that would offer the things that we're doing. They don't have the money. Um, we don't charge for anything unless it's, if it's a pottery class, then we just charge for the amount of clay. That's it. We're not charging for the instruction or anything like that. And to go take a pottery class at some of our local pottery studios or even our um, Indianapolis Art Center would be about three or $400 for a five mm -hmm. or six week class. And we're charging 50. So actually it's 65 now because the clay's gone up, but yeah. you know, that, I mean, that's it. So, and these kids don't have access to a lot of those things in school anymore either. So, right. Right. Especially with virtual education over the last couple of years, right. um, to have something in your own neighborhood where you can yeah. have an outlet for creativity and for community and gathering. Yeah. Um, sounds like a real 
a real gift. Um, so I'm curious as a nonprofit, how are you funded? It sounds like you, it, you're offering affordable workspace and event yeah. space, but how are you funded? Oh, my husband and I have funded it ourselves. Just self-funded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I say that, but we, we have some great corporate partners. There's a law firm in our neighborhood who he grew up, uh, we, we actually straddle two different school districts, um, and their townships is what we call them here. So we are half Decatur township and half Wayne township. And mm-hmm. the road that splits that is like two blocks from our art center. So we, we serve both. He's from the Decatur side, went to Decatur high school, really believes in giving back. His office is right down the road. Um, and they give to us on a regular basis. In fact, they have a good bit of our art in their office. Like they, they gave us a donation to be able to take some of our things and have them on display in their office. Um, and we have a couple of other community partners that give on a a regular, pretty regular basis. It's usually a surprise, you know, they're, they're not given to us every month, but every now and then they'll send us a check and it's like, Oh, this is so awesome. Um, and we have a couple of, um, friends that are, parents of people that my husband went to high school with or grew up with that have put us into their financial planning. And every year at the end of the year, their fund, um, they have to direct so much to a nonprofit and they send us a check. Yeah. So it truly is, um, a gift and a real passion project of yours and your husband's to offer this to the community. And it's been quite a shift for you. I mean, from where you started to where, what you're doing now, I'm curious, what is it that you are wanting to come from this? What would you like to see? What's the impact you want to see? What, what change can be made? Why are you doing it? So we both, my husband and I both say, if, if we have an impact on just one person, that if, if one person comes away from our organization, either with a great memory that they look back on, especially the kids. Like I want the kids to be able to say when they're grown up, Oh, we did, we used to go to this place and we used to do these things. And, you know, those are the kind of memories that we have that encouraged us or inspired us to actually do this. So, you know, if kids can learn either an art or, you know, somebody comes in and has never done pottery before. And all of a sudden they find out they're so good at it. And then they have this skill that they can take into their adulthood and they could do it for the rest of their lives, you know? So, um, there's that, but then there's also, uh, I want to tell you the story about our friend, Charles. He, when we bought our building, we were cleaning it out and it was, it was a mess. It was, I don't know if you know dumpster sizes, but we filled up three 18 yard dumpsters full of junk in this space. It was terrible. They were, people were doing drugs in it and it was awful. And so we would be in the back filling up these dumpsters and he would be riding up and down the alley on this little trick bike. And he was strung out, looked like he hadn't had a shower in two years, um, talking to himself. And he started talking to my husband one day and John just kept talking to him and kept saying, Hey man, you know, if you get yourself clean, I'm, I I might even hire you to come work for me someday. Well, he had been a steel union steel worker for years and got addicted to drugs and 
is from this community. So he grew up in this neighborhood, three houses down from our art center. His mom still lives there. So he was essentially homeless, was staying with her, even though she didn't want him staying there. He had lost his kids because of his drug addiction. He had lost his job. Um, he kept coming around and John kept talking to him. So if, if you go, so we have a, a show called do something indie, which I think is a lot very similar to what you're doing and, you know, spotlighting people that are doing good things in the community. And we've interviewed him a couple of times. So if you go out to our YouTube channel, look for the two interviews with Charles. Um, he is so well-dressed. He has a great job. He has gotten his kids back. Of course, now they're 18. So now he's dealing with that whole 18 year old, you know, I'm out of here kind of thing. (laughs) How to parent adult kids. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, And so we kind of look to look at Charles as our one. I mean, if, if we were here, if we had to come here just to help Charles, then it's been totally worth it. So. Yeah. 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 Um, I actually did watch, um, I think the second interview you did with Charles on your, um, program, do something indie. Tell us about that. What is that? So do something indie is a a result of a failed attempt at running for public office on my husband's part. (laughs) So when we bought our building, um, we bought it in 2015, but we have only been open for the last three and a half years. So it took us years to get it open. We had our, we had our nonprofit approval in like eight weeks. So we've had that since early 2015, but we were not able to open until 2018 because of all of the issues with the city, construction permits, code and zoning issues. We just kept saying, we just want to do something. We just want to do something good. That's we're trying to do something good. And so then he decided to run for office and we were trying to come up with you know, a tagline or, you know, what do we truly stand for? What words can encapsulate we stand for? And we just kept coming back to that, that quote. And it actually comes from a Matthew West song um, called do something. And I would encourage anyone to go look it up on YouTube. The video is awesome. Um, but every single word in the lyrics of that song was what we were trying to do. And I think that song came out the year before we bought the building. And so it was like really fresh on our minds. So we were hearing Mm -hmm. it all the time. And we even reached out to them and asked if we could use it. And they said, yeah, go for it. So we added the indie on the end. And that was the tagline of his campaign. He didn't win, but it's encouraged us to keep trying to fight that fight and encourage people, ordinary people. If you really are passionate about making change, you have to get involved. You have to vote, um, you know, all that kind of thing. So when he didn't get in office, we just kind of kept it. And he had started doing a show around it, interviewing people like you do, and just sharing their stories, sharing the stories of people who are trying to do good things. It's a YouTube channel thing, yeah, right? So we and do, we do it on Facebook live on Wednesday nights at eight o'clock. So do something indie is the Facebook. Oh, okay. um, and then also uh, we have do something indie on Instagram clearly have your hands in a lot of things and all of these are still kind of side gigs for you. And, um, what motivates you? Oh gosh, just helping people. I mean, that's, I, I, it's who I am. It's what, 
how I've lived my life. My parents instilled that in all three of us kids. And, um, my dad, my mom, both my mom and my dad have been mentors to young people their whole lives. Um, my dad, especially cause he was a coach and, um, and a college administrator. So we had college students in our house all the time. And my husband and I have always lived that way too. In fact, when I met John, that was one of the things that I really fell in love with first was the fact that he still was the chapter advisor for his fraternity at his university and drove an hour and a half every Sunday night to go meet with these boys and keep them all in line. Um, and they love it. And in fact, now he got this harebrained idea about a month ago. He wants to substitute teach at least two or three times a month. And so he's been substitute teaching and these kids just love him. I said, you know, you're going to want to just quit construction and just be a full-time sub. So, uh, but he's doing it in our community too, which helps, helps us, you know, get to know some of these kids. So what have you learned from this career path that you just described here? Like what you've changed your you made a lot of changes. What, what did you learn from that process? To just not be afraid to do what you love or to try something new. And I, so when I decided to take that leap of faith and leave a corporate secure job, (laughs) it was scary. Um, but we survived it. And then when my part-time consulting gig was up, and, you know, we decided to go ahead and open the art center that same year, my younger daughter was getting married and I've done flowers as a hobby since high school and did both of my girls' weddings. But my youngest was like, you know, you're going to do my flowers for my wedding. And I said, well, I hoped you would ask me to do them, but sure. And so at the same time we were, that was April and we opened the art center in August. So we were in the process of getting it all finished and getting the plans laid and all that. And so I thought, you know, flowers and art and craft and all that kind of go hand in hand. I think I might just try my hand at starting a little floral business and see what happens. And I had all these amazing photos from her wedding. I created an Instagram account and a Facebook page. And lo and behold, I had seven weddings that year. And then that was 2018. And in 2019, I had 18 weddings. And then 2020, the year of the shutdowns, I had 22. And then last year, 21, I had 40. Wow. So, yeah. So, and it was just, it was something I was passionate about and loved to do. And um, people liked my work, which, you know, I kind of, you're probably too young to know who Sally Field is, but. No, um, I know when, Sally Field. Okay. So do you know the <laughs> quote or the, the, um, Oscar win. And she says, you like me. me. You really like me. Yes. And so I still feel like that. Like I'll, I'll make a bouquet. And sometimes my husband will be at the studio with me and I I'll walk into his room and say, look at this. I just did like, I just made that. And he'll say, when are you going to get used to the fact that you actually know what you're doing and you're good. And so I, I feel very fortunate that I've had however many brides now decide to hire me to do their weddings. And so, yeah, so I have squirrel mentality. If you can't tell, I, I like have to have a lot of things going on at one time. Um, but that business has really fit well into the art center. So I do it at, at the studio. Right. Um, yeah. And then I also teach floral design classes in the art center. We do wreath making and garland making classes for the holidays and, Um, I do what I call pedal parties and you can bring your girlfriends in and we'll do a little 
you know, flower arranging class. And it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. That's great. Well, it's all quite connected. And I think also comes from a, a place of creativity and giving back. And so I yeah. think those themes really come through when you look at all the, the different things you're doing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Some of the other things that we didn't really expect um, we would be doing with the art center. So we had a lady that reached out probably it was 2020. So it was when the shutdowns were happening and she works for Kroger third shift and stocks shelves. And she called and she said, Hey, we have all of these items that Kroger was going to throw away because they've passed their sell by Mm -hmm. date, not expiry date, but sell by date. She said, do you think if I brought you a bunch of this stuff, you could give this stuff away. And so it was things like bread and boxed potatoes and just all all kinds of food things. And we have a couple of food pantries in our community, but she really wanted to do this as her way of giving back. And so I said, sure, I'll put a little social media post together. We'll put a sign on the door and say free food today and see what happens. And so now a year later, year plus later, I would say she brings us stuff a couple of times a month. Um, we always give it almost all of it away. And if we don't, then I take what's left over to the food pantries that are close to us. Um, for Thanksgiving and Christmas last year, she took her stimulus check and bought enough food to fill these big, I don't know if you've seen in the grocery store when they're stocking the produce area, the big banana boxes, they Mm -hmm. have handles on them and they're real heavy duty. So she put together 20 boxes full of all of the fixings for a holiday meal for a family of four, a ham, rolls, yams, stuffing mix, all the things. And on top of that, a thing of eggs, a thing of bacon, pancake mix, and syrup. Breakfast and the next day. Yep. Yep. And so we gave out 20. So with that, we actually had people sign up. So put it out on social media next door and I had people call and leave their name and phone number and up until we got up to 20. And then that we had a certain day assigned. We said, okay, on this day between 10 and, and one, come and get your meals. And it just was such a blessing. I mean, these people, it, it just, it breaks my heart to see what a lot of the people in our community and all over the U S it's, I mean, it's not just here, mm-hmm. how people are struggling mm-hmm. and just something like that can help so much. Yeah, it can. So, um, do you feel like you are, you know, at first you weren't really maybe welcomed or accepted yeah. in the community. Do you feel like over the last seven years, you are starting to be opened up to in the community? Do you feel like oh, you're gosh. integrated yes. into the community now? Absolutely. In fact, we get phone calls all the time. People saying, I, I have this issue and I, I don't know who to go to. And I, I, I don't know who to ask. And my neighbor said, you know, you should call those people that have the art center. They can probably tell you who to call. And so, I, I mean, I, it, that probably happens a couple of times a month from people we don't even know that have not ever even set foot in our space, but probably live four or five blocks away. So, um, yeah, that happens a lot. And we, 
we had a church, a local church put in a blessing box, which is like a little free library. And we also have a little free library too. They're actually side by side, right next to our building. And the blessing box, we put things like um, toothbrushes and toothpaste and socks and um, toiletries and not food items. We don't take food items because we have those two food pantries. So I had people started leaving food and I had to stick a sign on there that says, please take the food across the street. Their little pantry is right there. Um, And it's like a little free library too. So it's one of those boxes on a post that people put stuff in. Um, But so we have people that will come and put things in it. And then we put things in it too, but we try to encourage those who can Mm -hmm. to give back by, by putting things in it and such a funny story. So last year um, we, well, right after we had the blessing box put up, I was putting craft packets in there too. So like markers, crayons, coloring books, things like that. And I had put 10 in there and I, I walked back out about an hour later to check the mail and I looked in there and they were all gone. It's like, you can't tell me that 10 different people came and got stuff out of there when it, within an hour, that's just, it doesn't, that just doesn't happen. And I, I, so I immediately got mad because I thought somebody took all 10 of those. They don't Mm -hmm. need all 10. They need to share with everybody else. And so I said something to my husband and he said, you can't do that and have still have a giving heart. Like you have to, you, you can't give and let go. I know. And so, um, it happened a few more times. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to put a ring doorbell in there. Cause I just want to see what people are taking and like, what time of day are they coming? Um, you know, just kind of monitor what's going on. And so this lady had backed up and it's right off of our parking lot. So she had backed up in front of it and I could see the back of her car. I could see the make of her car. I saw the stickers on her car. And she took all of the craft packets that day. And I was like, dead gummit. She took all of those. So a couple of weeks later, I walk out to put some stuff in the box and she had pulled up and she gets out of her car. And she's like, I am so glad to finally see someone here. I just have to say thank you so much for doing this. This is the coolest thing. She goes, my 10 grandkids are having to live with me right now. And this has been such a blessing to us. Oh, you could have just like stabbed me in the heart, you know, because she has 10 grandkids living with her. She obviously needed them all. And she was so grateful. So I, I told my husband, he said, see, I told you. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. wow. Well, but we also, I have a little sign next to the doorbell inside the box that says, ring the bell. If you need assistance, we are here to help. And so that has happened a couple of times too, with people that are homeless, that needed a place to go. And, you know, it comes to my phone and I answer it. Hey, you know, how can I help you? So, um, so the ring doorbell has served a a couple of purposes, um, but it also taught me a very valuable lesson too. You can't give and then have that kind of attitude about it. So, which is a very human thing to do, but (laughs) yeah, yes. A great lesson indeed. Yeah. So, um, I like to close these episodes with, um, giving you a chance to share a quote that is meaningful to you, um, or yeah. maybe one that you carry with you. Um, so do you have, do you have something? I sure do. 
it says, live in such a way that should anyone speak badly of you, no one would believe it. That's how I try to live my life. Now, I have a lot of Bible verses, too, that are my favorites, but quotes, for sure, that's the one. So, And I know that faith is important to you, so uh, maybe share with us one of the Bible verses. Yeah, Romans 8, 28. In fact, um, I know this is a podcast and people can't see, but I have the word all tattooed on the inside of my elbow. Um, And we know that in all things, and that means all the good things, the bad things, ugly things, the tragic things, the stressful things. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. And we feel like we are living out our purpose. Many thanks to Lisa for sharing her story here and for all the good she is pouring into her community. You can find Lisa at MarsHillArts.com or on Facebook and Instagram, which we will link to in the show notes. Lisa was recommended to me by Mariah Bear. You can hear from Mariah in episode 1.9, Organizing for Impact, which is such a great episode with tips for cutting the clutter and doing good for your community in the process. Take a moment and subscribe, rate, and review the Good Around Us podcast and share it with a friend. There are more great guests coming your way this season. Listen in for a moment of light in your week. Thanks for listening to the Good Around Us podcast. Until next time.